Hi, folks. Uh, not much to warn you about this week other than the usual. Uh, there will be mentions of the pandemic and uh, a slight mention of privilege in the interview. But otherwise, uh, the standard disclaimers will apply. The first of which is we live in a house with animals. More than usual today. Uh, we, What have we got right now? Two sheep, four cats, four dogs, two of which belong to Shepard, Eighteen chickens because we had four hatch this week. The, the chickens aren't in the house, but what is in the house is an incubator full of eggs, the remnants of the one that the hen was brooding. Yeah, and one of which is pipped, and that means it's it's made a chip in its shell and it's going to hatch at some point. So we are all trying not to stare at it like vultures. And that means that perhaps next week's episode will involve chickens in the office. Yes, there will be peeping because uh, the the broody hen has decided she has her babies and she is now done with she this whole done. mothering yeah. bullshit. Yeah. Well, well, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, which leads us to our second warning, we swear, like oh, I just did. Yeah. And we'll continue to do. Oh, yeah. So that's why we mark it explicit, because there will be explicit language and maybe talk of poop because that is a thing that happens with chickens as I, oh my God, I will We'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. So welcome to Productivity Alchemy episode 148. We are two more episodes away from 150. That's the three-year mark, That's right? the three-year mark. Yep. Yet again, a did you th- really realize when you started on a lark? I did not expect three years. Then again, I didn't expect more than a couple episodes of... Kevin and Ursula eat cheap, and I certainly did not expect three times a week for six years of hidden alcohol uh, or of a hidden almanac. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, so podcasts just podcasts, say no; yeah. they will consume your life. It'll be uh, and and it's. I, I'm starting to think about the interview, mm-hmm. and a lot has changed even in the last couple months. Not. Because of the pandemic, but just because of how my needs have changed. Mm-hmm. So it's it's going to be an interesting one. Uh, later this episode, we'll be talking to Emily Lang again. Haven't spoken to her uh, in about a year and a half, two years, I think. I'll link to the original episode in the show notes. Uh, so, uh, you know, it was a good catch up. Had a lot of, a lot of good times talking. So this week, uh, we are having our virtual all hands. Actually, we started last week. Last week was mostly sales. This is Kevin's company. Yeah, this is our company. We're having our our engineering section this week, and it's much more engaging than all of the here's our sales strategy for the year that was mostly (laughs) happening last year. Uh, Although there's a lot of here's how it ties into what was announced at the big all-company meeting to kick off our fiscal year last week. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, But it's been a good time. It's just uh, compared to the all hands I went to in Toronto last fall, it is really missing the the whole virtual all hands thing. It's missing a lot of that human interaction component. Let's be honest, sitting in the bar drinking, just enjoying each other's company because we're and playing pinball and, and, and yeah, shooting the shit. Yeah. I mean, we we all enjoy each other's company. That's one of the reasons I love this company is that these are people I willingly and look forward to hanging out after work with. Uh, and several of them feel the same way about me, which is astounding. But you know, that's that's just how it works. And 
so we will, you know, so there's a lot that can be done to replicate. I think a conference using the distance techniques that we've learned uh, over the last couple of months. I mean, our company already had a lot of it down because we're 99% remote anyway. Uh, but it's just not there's there's just you're that, missing some of the face to face socialization. Yeah. Oh, and uh, I I look at how a lot of the other events, non corporate events, fandom events, are trying to work through it, and it's uh, I'm watching some of them struggle. Yeah. Yeah. Know? It's there's a lot of things that that. And and I am you will not find a bigger fan of remote anything than me. Yeah. Like oh yeah, I I because I am an introvert to the nth degree, um, which I realize doesn't come across in the podcast. But that's because I can be super outgoing to the microphone and Kevin. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's um, in person. I am actually almost exactly the same, except that then I have to go home and sleep for a week. Uh, the book tours were brutal. Yeah, they they I if if I never do a physical book tour again, um I would be filled with a glee. But that being said, there are things that it is genuinely hard to do or, or uh experiences that it is hard to replicate virtually. Yeah. And one of them is the the you know hanging out is is bar con basically mm-hmm. uh, hallway uh, con yeah hallway con yeah I mean and we, I hate to tie it just to drinking because uh, we could do coffee shop con just as easily uh, but uh, yeah no we we did a virtual sort of get together because we like hanging out and talking to each other and shooting the shit uh, this afternoon and I think it was like two hours like just a bunch of us on Zoom hanging out. The Europeans were drinking mm-hmm. uh, because it was that time of day there. Uh, I was having a coffee, and they asked me when I don't have coffee. And then I realized that that it's usually after about 9 or 10 p.m. now. A lot of decaf after 6, but yeah. Uh, so apparently I am that guy who drinks way too much coffee now. And that's fine. That's fine. It was uh, – but – you know, just the back and forth and the social bits, we were able to get a lot of that without the physical thing and the extra noise of being in a public space and all that. Uh, I remember like a couple of the forced, not forced, but the mandatory socialization periods were not the best socialization, right? The The best socialization was, yeah, in the hotel lobby, in the, uh, in the pinball barcade down the road from the hotel sergey that's my hand um places where it wasn't like i mean it was sort of company sponsored but it wasn't uh mostly because it was company sponsored because our managers were expensing the bar tab <laughs> but uh, other than that you know it was there was a lot of uh the the mandatory you will get together and socialize as a group I got to, you know, eat dinner and have a great conversation with one of my directors who I'd never met in person uh, at the event, uh, which was, you know, a rare opportunity. But there was something – in some cases, there was something a little forced about it. And we haven't quite perfected that yet. I mean, I've heard stories of people being extremely creative about this. Uh, Supposedly, somebody was – Figured out they could uh, hold group meetings as a multiplayer game of Red Dead Redemption. 
Okay, there and you go. Okay, it worked better than Zoom because it was much faster. Because the the things they were like the only problem was that everybody you know had to have the game, of course, and then everybody had to do the initial levels with the posse to uh, get to a level where they could uh, they could be in a multiplayer game but uh they were it was actually kind of funny and we uh you know there was a lot of bonding over helping your coworker get through those initial levels and then you could all sit around the campfire <laughs> in red dead redemption talking while the coyotes howl in the background we were we were actually talking in the group thing about apparently now with vanilla world of warcraft you can spin up a private server mm. Or a private, you know, just sort of like, this is for your group and your group only. And there was some talk about spinning one of those up. It would mean getting World of Warcraft again, which I am not... That is that is I'm a not, sink, yeah. you know? Yeah, uh, but on the flip side, it was it was sort of a creative thing. There, I think there's now like a uh, Minecraft, a private Minecraft server that we're trying to build like... Oh yeah, I've heard of people doing it in Minecraft too. Yeah, yeah. Trying to, they're trying to build one of our, our recognizable company logos in Minecraft on the thing. They're like, we're going to need <laughs> all of these dyes and these blocks so that we can do it. And just like, could, couldn't you do it in creative mode? And I'm guessing it's just not the same for, for them. I'm like, I'd do it in creative mode because it'd be, wow, way cool. <laughs> Rather than trying to do it in survival mode where it's, all right, I have three blocks left and oh, fuck creeper. Boom. Right. That's that's not. They did say one problem in with the Red Dead Redemption meetings is occasionally someone shows up and shoots you. (laughs) (laughs) And like, but on the other hand, you can just pull out a gun and shoot your manager and everyone laughs. (laughs) Right. I mean, yeah. people things, are, yeah. are are finding ways. And I was thinking, you know, the, the only way I could think of to really replicate the experience of, you know, people drifting off into knots to talk mm-hmm, and then back mm-hmm. to the main group would be some kind of like virtual reality sort of thing, maybe. But uh, there's there's a, actually a couple things. Uh, Zoom, I don't think, has it right now. But there are a couple technologies now where you can, if you need to, spin off a a, a sidebar chat room. Where you can just say, oh, we need to go discuss this, break off from the main group to discuss it, and come back. Uh, sort of like a, a a sidebar without having to drag the entire meeting right, with you. Right. And so that's an interesting kind of concept on that. Still not perfect. Still not perfect. Well, we're, we're, we're figuring things out. And uh, I still think that if this lasts as long as I suspect it's going to. Oh, yeah. Uh, that... Uh, remote work will become much more of a thing in the aftermath. I have already heard of uh, rumored one company who was like, why are we paying all of this for real estate and all of this? We can all do our jobs from home. Don't come back. And honestly, that would make it really lovely for um, a lot of people who are shackled to like the Bay Area because the venture capitalists want to see butts in seats. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this was this is this was a large Bay Area company. Yeah, because um, I, I know there's been at least one company that you that was like we would hire you, but you'd have to be in the Bay Area because the investors want to see butts and seats. And it's a, yeah, it's a common problem. Yeah, it's a it's a, that wasn't that wasn't Bay Area. That was L.A. Mm. But still, uh, it's, same same principle. Yeah, yeah, it is a common problem. The one of the other things we were talking about today in a, a um, ask me anything with our CEO, which is brilliant that he does these things. Uh, we were talking about, you know, what are we doing about 
the brain fart, uh, the diversity problem, mm-hmm. right? Because, I mean, you know, we our, our U.S. headquarters based in the Bay Area and obviously th- talking about the engineering group and specifically cloud engineering where I'm at, you know, there's a kind of noticeable disparity there uh, or difference. And so, you know, hearing the top leadership of the company, which is the CEO, and then our new vice president in charge of just our cloud SaaS offering, talking about ways to do better uh, is nice. We'll see if they follow through because that's always Talk the problem. Cheap, yeah. Yeah. There's, well, there's like one technical solution we've been talking about replacing, I guess, for something like two, three years. Uh, and uh, so, you know, one of those things, uh, one of those things, it'll be interesting though. One of the other topics that came up um, not related to remote work was the discussion of the five whys. Ah, you're giving me a look. This is not a concept you've heard before. Uh, not ringing a bell. So whenever you're, you're diagnosing a problem, and I use this when trying to solve a problem as well, and someone says, well, you can't possibly do that, you ask why. And usually it takes about five askings of why to get to the root of the actual problem. Oh, so you imitate a toddler. Kind of, yeah. You imitate a toddler, but in, it's actually a, a technique, uh, I believe, originated by Toyota. When something goes wrong, you ask why, and then that's, okay, we know... Why did the line stop? Because this broke. Why, why did, did it that break? break? Because it wasn't maintained. Why wasn't it maintained? Because the dude is home. Because right. we lost the dude. Why? Because somebody offered him more money. Okay, the line broke down because we need to pay the that widget guy more money. Exactly. Exactly. And I I find it much more along the lines of, couldn't we just write a script to do X? Oh no no. Well why? Oh, uh, it's you know it's very complicated to identify the right thing. Why? You know, I, I will play toddler in that case because sometimes the best solutions come out not by asking why should you do something, but why can't you do something? Anytime somebody says we can't do something uh, versus a shouldn't or a uh, – well, basically versus a shouldn't and doesn't give me a reason other than it's too difficult – I will continue to ask why, because that means there's probably some bullshit under there somewhere. There's, uh, in tactics, I guess, or strategy Mm -hmm. or whatever, and don't wank at me about the difference between the two, uh, because I don't care. There's a theory that you would much rather face an experienced general or whatever across the board from you than a rank amateur because you know what the general will do the amateur could do any goddamn thing and occasionally they win because they do something because they don't know what to do yet and they don't know what can't be done or or, yeah or they don't know what not to do yeah the 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 sort of the, the the strength of amateurs yeah, and you kind of see that illustrated in sci-fi where someone has come up with this whole new thing and gets uh, like the Picard maneuver. 
It's named after the the thing where Jean-Luc Picard did a thing and now that's it's like famous in all of the Yeah, cuz he was an ensign who had no idea what he was doing at the time. Right. Yeah. Right. Or, uh, or had no idea that he couldn't or shouldn't do that. The real world example is Ensign Clipperman, who was on the, the ship at, uh, was it Pearl Harbor? I don't know. One of the ones, uh, the big naval battle, everyone on the bridge was basically killed, and he was the ranking officer, oh, and God. he held the mouth of the bay or whatever it was for, like, a long time, steering this ship and firing things because... He's an ensign, you know, what the hell? I mean, he died, of course, but he, like, probably won the the engagement because he did not realize his position was completely untenable. Right. And he kept, you know, not losing. So, yeah, it's uh, – anyway. But yeah, I don't know shit about the military. So, so uh, but I mean, that's the that's the sort of thing yeah. uh, that, that came up. And so uh, – the virtual AMAs, I mean, we've been ha- we have them about monthly now with the whole company able to just ask a question on a form and then upvote or downvote what questions get asked of our, you know, co-founder slash CEO. I think he's a co-founder. Anyway, it's, uh, it's an interesting, interesting time, uh, especially when it's focused specifically on the division of the company I'm in. Um, so there's that. How has your week been? Now, as I recall, last week you had the startling revelation that there was no reason you couldn't take a staycation. Yes. So I did for days, like several of them. Uh, And I just worked in the garden and didn't write. I was like, I am on vacation. I am going to work in the garden all day. And it was glorious. Uh, I did it up until yesterday. Which so I guess that would have been uh three days in a weekend. Yeah, so five days. <laughs> five days, yeah. And uh uh yesterday I had like a doctor's appointment and I had to run some errands and whatnot and it was kinda rainy, so I was like, Well, I don't want to waste one of my staycation days. I will go write words instead. And today I went and wrote words because it's still rainy and I oh, didn't yeah. want to waste a staycation day. And I was trying to explain this to Shepard who was staring at me and is like, you're acting like paid time off is a thing for you when you're a writer and you don't have PTO. And I'm like, but but otherwise I would have just not done anything and that's not acceptable and so basically the the bargain i have struck is that if i work in the garden all day that's a vacation day if i don't i have to write words but you're not limited to like 15 or anything like that you could 15 what days to work in the garden oh uh i hadn't thought about it i thought i thought maybe i i was sort of thinking i would do a week and then so the the two days i guess because it was raining i would add on at the end so because i mean i couldn't possibly take more than a week's vacation that would be decadent oh yeah i know i know but like usually companies have a very fixed amount of of paid time off now i've had jobs the last couple years that are fairly generous with that including a reasonably good sick time i've worked with terrible places where it's like oh yeah if you're sick that comes like your sick time and your vacation time are all one big lump so if you get sick no vacation for you or if you want to take a big vacation you better not get sick kind of thing uh, whereas this you know the last two three companies i've worked for have been much better about that i uh 
I mean, I would love to to keep working in the garden, but I, at some point, like, uh, that would be wrong. Well, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you you don't have to you don't have to uh, weigh them out like grains of saffron. I kind of am to the way I do. But but I am. <laughs> yeah, but you are. You don't have to. But if you don't... Look, my boss is brutal, okay? <laughs> She's a real bitch. She, she can be. She can be, yeah. yeah, the, yeah. Lots, of, lots of crack in the whip. Uh, yeah. Shep like, suggested I unionize. I pointed out I was the only worker, and I was also management, so... <laughs> Yeah, it's it, um, it, uh, she said that would just make elections easier for me. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, but striking it gets really difficult. Uh, yeah, especially I mean, after if you if you decide you need to break the strike the the old fashioned hard way. Uh, uh, go after management with a sledgehammer. The other way around, management sending the Pinkertons after the union. Well, occasionally the unions, you know, or the oh, workers, yeah. before we had unions, the workers would bust into management's house and, you know, drag them out into the street and beat them. So honestly, no matter, uh, one of me is going to get beat no matter <laughs> who wins this or loses it. Uh, anyway, so the moral of this story is, uh, I don't know. I think I have to like edit something tomorrow. Um it's weird. I got to say, since the pandemic started, I've had a lot of editing projects, and that's fun. Like, mm -hmm. I, a bunch of yeah, things yeah, landed yeah. all simultaneously. I had two books, three books, maybe, go into various stages of edits. One needed rewrites and then sent off and then edits, and I'm waiting on the next round of those. One needed finishing and then uh, got it back for rewrites uh, and then just got it back for edits like yesterday. And then I had another one that's like the galley copy is going out, look at it and and whatnot. And it is much easier to do edits and rewrites right now than it is to write new content. And that's okay. really strange because normally I can write new content all day and you ask me to edit a book and I hide behind the chair. And, uh, this is true. And this uh, the pandemic has put it completely the other way around. It's like, you want new words? I am so fucked. But... You want me to push old words around and make them work? Yeah, I can do that. That's fine. Um, which is interesting. So, uh, yeah, but like going to new words is like, you know, lowering the bucket and pulling up sand. Uh, oh, dear. I'm, uh, and I'm still writing them. Like I wrote two, a couple, I've written, you know, 200, uh, uh, 2,500 words maybe in the last two days, which is fine. That's, that's, you know, more than, than I'd need to on, this one story, but uh, I don't know how much of this is moving the plot and how much of it is just kind of noodling around and whether the book will wind up longer than it needs to be as a result. But yeah, because it's a self-published book and a lot of time people just kind of want to spend time with my characters, I do not feel as <laughs> guilty about doing that in one of these. And the whole thing in, in writing, of course, is, you know, every word, every scene must push the plot along. You know, if you have anything, cut it ruthlessly, et cetera, et cetera. Oh. Which is not a thing in fanfic. No. Because you're there to basically wallow in the writing and spending time with the characters and... Uh, which is a a dynamic I really enjoy about fanfic. Uh, 
that being said, you know, I, I, one of my beloved editors occasionally comes in and is like, you need to cut like 5,000 words out of this. They've been <laughs> on the road forever. And, yeah. uh, and I think I cut 500 or so. But every, then. every so often when you get into look at the spectacle of the world I have built, I, it's okay to say that I do go on. You know? It's not that. It's just, how, how do I say this? Um, you are fantastic expect, at spectacle, but you are no China Mieville. No, I'm not, which kills me because I would really like to be China Mieville. I, a bald, angry communist man? Um, no, that's your job, but... <laughs> Okay. I would really like to write like China. Okay, there, we go. there yes. we go. There yeah. we go. Although in his, his his first two Bass Lag books, and this was another funny thing about those, is the first uh, Perdido Street Station, the scar, really long. Oh, yeah. Real wallowing in the world building. Like, just super wallow. And Loved it in Perdido Street, Street Station, could not get into it in the scar. Interestingly, I preferred the scar hands down over Perdido Street Station, but, you know, it, whatever, different strokes. The third book he did set in Bass Lag was Iron Council, and he actually did everything he was supposed to, according to literary wisdom. He cut 90% of that. Like, no wallowing, straight there, let's go. And the fans hated it. Critics loved it. Readers hated it. I hated it. Uh, It was, I mean, stripped of the spectacle and the world building, it became... We get you're a communist. That's fine. You're among friends, but honestly, uh, yeah, this is just come on, dude. See, and that was that was one of the things I liked about Unlondon and Railsea. Well, uh, he has the same. He has the Clive Barker issue, which is his writing for adults is dense and almost labyrinthical, and just there's it's it's a lot. They go to write for kids and everything gets like smooth and easy and there's still spectacle, but you yeah. can follow it and a it's nice, elegant. Yeah, yeah, a nice balance. I, it, it may be a difference in editors. There was a nice balance there between spectacle and moving the plot. Yeah, I along. loved On London. Yeah. Loved it. I still say you need to read Rail C. Uh, I hate Moby Dick. Yeah, I'm not a fan either, but I really liked Rail C mostly for a lot of the spectacle involved in it. I think you'd enjoy it. I don't think you realize how much I hate Moby Dick. My mother tried to I, yeah, 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 read it to me when she was in her you must read improving literature thing when I was like nine or ten. And uh hate it, hate it with a passion. She had to stop because I burst into tears because I was afraid the whale wouldn't be okay. The giant albino mole. Is the mole okay? I believe the mole ends up okay. Okay. I'm not reading it if the mole isn't okay. Uh, the fate of Mole-bee the mole. Dick. Yeah, kind of. I mean, it, there's no water. That's part of the thing. There's no ocean. It's Everything is covered in rails. and Yeah, he was really obsessed with trains. Iron Council was about trains. Yeah, so. and they're... And, they're... and you know, I, I, I don't want to be... Uh, Okay, cause I I don't want to be reductionist, <laughs> but dude, trains are such a boy thing. Like, no, and, and I'm not saying that's... that there aren't female train enthusiasts because they probably are. Never had the slightest interest in trains. Zillions of men that I know 
super into trains. I don't get it. Uh, yeah, so. I, I don't necessarily, I mean, they're, they're neat and I can watch them, but not at the level of some people I know who can just watch them. Like, just buy DVDs of nothing but trains going back and forth. And you, you're looking at me funny. This is a thing. It's like the construction videos for have you not seen these uh i know it would never they're, come up yeah so, i believe you but yeah there there there's a whole line of of videos for kids where it's just dump trucks moving things or diggers digging things or trains just i mean and, and that's back and forth. totally fine i can totally completely understand that because i get a similar sort of thrill out of how it's made Yes. With the, the machinery, you know, doing these sort of interesting, repetitive tasks, and you're just like, there's something just weirdly soothing to the hindbrain about it. But for some reason, trains in particular, and I do not know, like, I, I, I do not think because humans are, you know, evolved millions of years before trains, that there is a train part of the brain that, or a train, you know, allele on the, the Y chromosome that means it's a dude thing. It may, it's probably socialization. I don't know, but for some reason, like uh, trains do nothing for me. I, and all you female train enthusiasts out there, uh, please feel free to chime in and tell me I'm wrong, uh, but uh, Kevin can They're going to email, yeah, email it to me. Yeah, course, and, yeah, and that is great. I would like to think you're out there because it's just striking me how weirdly that seems to fall on on gender expression lines is dudes are into trains. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. And female artists collect skulls. So... Anyway, I had a chance to catch up with Emily Lang, who is, uh, as far as I know, not into trains or a collector of skulls. If either of those things are untrue, please feel free to correct us, Emily. Absolutely. Uh, like I said, there is a uh, slight mention of, of privilege and certainly discussion of the pandemic that uh, comes into this interview, but Otherwise, absolutely fantastic to catch up and see how her systems have changed since the last time we talked. And we'll have that for you right after this. here with returning guest Emily, and it is absolutely fantastic to talk to Emily, let me tell you. And we're going to talk about how some things have changed since the last time we spoke, and there have been some big changes and some small changes. So, Emily, why don't you introduce yourself and um, tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. Last time you were a full-time student, right? Right, and I still am a full-time undergraduate student. Mm -hmm. um, that's looking a little bit different these days, <laughs> but um, I'm still a full-time student at Elon University, and I am still a double major 
in philosophy and English literature. I'm also doing research in both of those fields semi-officially, officially in English literature. That's where my research mentor is, but right. um, I am doing work with uh, female intersectionality and various different critical theories looking at speculative fiction. Okay, so I just have to ask. My, my focus mm -hmm. in the time I was a, an English literature major was much more early 20th century poetry. Right. So how angry does the new Cats movie make you? So I have not actually seen the new Cats movie. I've seen plenty of Cats movie memes. Right. Um, but I, I have not actually seen that myself. Okay. You, it, I ended up hate watching it after the first five minutes. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just there's your, there's your warning on that one. <laughs> I had considered watching it. You know, I have recently had to come back home after an abbreviated study abroad experience. Right, right. And on, on planes, I like to watch movies that I know I wouldn't watch if I wanted to spend money on them. Um, just because I'm going to be in a metal tube for a couple hours, I might mm -hmm. as well use that time effectively. Um, so I, I considered watching Cats um, just because Pardon the dog. I have nothing else in my time slot. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, it's 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 just the male puppies. It's fine. They're driving away now. <sighs> but didn't end up watching it then. Yeah, no, I um I think it was Hotel Artemis I watched on a flight. Um and it wasn't something I would have probably watched at home or paid for and I'm like now I'm looking back at it going, that is totally a movie I would have paid for. It was amazing. I was so, so surprised. Um, I was surprised by the movie Knives Out. Oh my um, God, yes. Surprisingly good. Um, uh, the, the only thing that everyone was yelling about, and I think with reason, was um, Daniel Craig's accent. Yeah. Uh, it, it was definitely an odd choice it was yeah uh it was not i think as good as his accent in uh, logan lucky and if you haven't seen logan lucky it is possibly the most southern heist movie ever yeah and i my family loves heist movies so we might yeah. have to look into that so yeah uh a heist movie with um uh chatham tating chatham tatum um uh, Oh, for God's sake. Uh, Daniel Craig and um, I'll remember. Oh, it's the FedEx guy. That's why they're losing their minds. Um, and uh, and uh, Kylo Ren. I can't remember his name. Adam Driver. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's sort of a must-see. If, okay. if, if you like any of those actors and you like heist movies and you like watching people and, and you understand the importance and the money involved in, say, uh, the Charlotte Motor Speedway. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's it was everything I could have possibly wanted in that movie, uh, and not known I, I I really did need in my life. Um, I'll link it, folks. I'll link the IMDb page. Just trust me on this one. <laughs> anyway, um, so you were in England when everything sort I of was. went sideways. Yeah, yeah. So I um, I finished up my fall semester. I, I, Elon has a winter term. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't go back for winter term because it would have only given me three days between the end of winter term and leaving for 
what I thought was going to be approximately five months. Yeah. Um, yeah. So didn't particularly want to have that quick of a turnaround. Mm -hmm. Um, So I already had a little bit of a preview of working from home. Yep. Um, because I was still working on my undergraduate thesis while I was at home. Mm-hmm. And then I left for England in late January and I um, had to come back in mid-March. Yeah. And it was a situation where it was a smaller program. There were 43 students um, and it's not a program run through a specific British University, so I wasn't mm-hmm. on a campus. Okay, um, I was living in Bath, England. They oh, have man. apartments and houses mm-hmm. um, throughout the city and a study center, and they bring in different um, teachers for seminars and tutorials. Um, so I was doing three of my four classes in Bath mm-hmm. with teachers from surrounding universities, and mm-hmm. then once a week. I would go into Oxford for a tutorial with a Oxford um, faculty member. Oh my God. I'm insanely jealous. I mean, that's <laughs> it was awesome. Lovely. Yeah. My Oxford days, I think, were my favorites yeah. because I, I got used to the British train system. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was one of the times where I was more by myself and I mm-hmm. felt very safe and walking around oxford for an hour or two before my meeting and then i'd go and talk about critical theory and science fiction for two hours <laughs> and then take the train back home nice <laughs> it was lovely yeah uh so you've had to transition from a lot of in-person now to virtual both in the working from home and the actual classes you take yeah. and uh like you said you got a little preview of working from home because you're still working on your thesis uh, before you left, but how big of a shift is it really now, and and how are you managing that? Right, and I think it's really interesting to note some of these shifts because I was homeschooled all through high school, mm-hmm. and so I was doing work online, work from home, a lot of my high school experience. I was also doing some in person classes when I was doing dual enrollment mm-hmm. courses at the local college, but. Part of that was still working from home. And I have found that since going to college and then coming back and working, I I definitely can't work all day in my pajamas anymore. (laughs) I used to be good at that. Right. Um, But now I I find the act of sort of transitioning into, okay, these are quote unquote real clothes. Um, This is starting my work day is um, more of what I need to do. I think finding finding the space and time mm-hmm. um, that can be your dedicated space and time is really important to me. So I think that's been one of the ba- biggest shifts as far as for me as a very habit oriented person. Right. Um, my habit had to shift, obviously coming, you know, going to England to begin mm-hmm. with, but then coming back and then coming back to work at home um, right. where I am very pleased that I am very close <laughs> with my family and right, right. we enjoy being together. Um, but sometimes hanging out as a family is not conducive to doing work. I'm aware. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so sometimes that might be me working upstairs versus mm-hmm. working downstairs or more recently, we've been having a pretty good weather uh, stand oh. here in East North Carolina. Yeah. It's been beautiful. So I've enjoyed, um, I've had most of my classes, they're still trying to do them mostly synchronously, Mm -hmm. um, 
but you know, juggling with time zones, that means most of them are in the morning for um, people on the East Coast. And so I do my classes in the morning and have lunch and then go outside and work outside mm-hmm. for most of the afternoon. And that's nice. You, you, there's a little bit of that ambient noise, which I find helpful. Yeah. Um, but most of the time I am out there by myself, minus our outside cat Murphy, <laughs> um, who is very helpful, of course, in of course. all things. Um, and so that's, that gives me not only a dedicated, like, a dedicated time structure, mm-hmm. but also a dedicated space. Mm-hmm. I found like I can no longer work in my bed um, and it's not really helpful for you to do that right, um, kind right. of where you sleep and where you work. Um, I do have to, I have my desk upstairs and I have where I like to sit outside. And I think mm-hmm. even being in those spaces is helpful as far as contributing to that regularity. Right. And I mean, that's why I have even separate sides of my desk, mm-hmm. like, What you see most of the time, what, what anybody who does an interview sees most of the time is the recording slash um, fun side of my desk. And mm-hmm. I slide over to the right where I've got a different computer and a different monitor. Well, okay, like a whole bunch of monitors. Uh, and that's the work work side. And I tend to do most of my actual day job from there. Um, right. I have a yeah. separate desk that has my sewing machine mm-hmm. and other craft stuff on it. Yeah. Um, so that's more of the craft side of my room even. Um, so I think that's that's something that I've definitely noted more so is that I've had to keep that regularity more. Mm-hmm. I think especially because we're in a strange and unusual time. Oh, yeah. Um, motivation is difficult. I'm usually a fairly early morning person, not mm-hmm. like not like getting up at 5 a.m. or anything like that. But, you know, 7 or 7.30 was not unheard of. Right. Now it's it's a um, big day if I can wake up by 8 um, and kind of get my day going by 9. So that's been a bit of a shift as far as I'm not quite on summertime hours where mm-hmm. I'm letting myself kind of go to sleep and wake up more naturally. I do have to have more structure in my day. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there's also a global pandemic. Yeah. And it's a thing. So, yeah. yeah. And um, I, I was just talking to a friend and we were saying like, neither of us have been super attentive to the news much recently. Mm-hmm. That's good. We cannot devote the brain space to both news and work and staying sane during a pandemic. Uh, Yeah. Um, Yeah. Which, and everyone does that differently. I think that was one thing I wanted to touch on. I think one thing I love about productivity alchemy is that we have have lots of different examples of people doing um, things and, you know, select what works for you and move on. Oh yeah. Uh, But I think that has been something that's been interesting to see with different people, the same friend I was talking to, you know, a lot of her classes are set up. So she gets her work for the week at the beginning of the week. Mm-hmm. She pushes through it in one to two days really quickly um, rather than stretching it out. Cause she's in some pretty intensive classes as right. a sociology major. Um, oh, wow. Take, yeah. And that combined with the times she said she would rather get through the really 
intensive material mm-hmm. at the beginning of the week. Um, you know, she's taking a lot of classes on the sociology of crime right now, so that leads to some interesting yeah. um, readings. But she likes to go ahead and get that done early. Mm-hmm. I'm not like that. <laughs> I cannot sit down and write a whole paper, like beginning to end. Mm-hmm. I have to write a couple paragraphs, let it sit, think about it, come back to it, do a couple more. I, that's just how I have been since high school. So I think knowing myself and knowing how I like to spread things out has been really important. And I try to spread them out so I have at least one or two lighter days. Right, 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 right. Um, so that I can have a semblance of a weekend, even with being at home. Or, I think or, that's, yeah. that's important too. Some sort of break, right? Right. Um, mm-hmm. Because I, I have experienced um, some negative backlash from kind of pushing myself too hard, even academically. Mm-hmm. Um, the sort of couple months following when I applied for my big research grant, I was in a stage which I now kind of have been told is semi burnout. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and since then, I have gone back on uh, anxiety medications, which is helping that a lot. Oh God, yes. Um, we we love manufactured chemicals if we can't make them at home. Um, but it's it's just knowing. I think also in separating out the weeks and the days in mm-hmm. a time period where for some people it's going by really quickly. I yep. can't believe it's been almost a month since I've come home. I feel like I was just getting on that plane. Right. Um, but, but for some people it's stretching out and feeling a lot longer. So that's been interesting to kind of note and observe. Sort of the, what day is it? I have no idea what day is it thing that, that seems to be happening to a lot of people with much more unstructured time. Uh, I know, uh, honestly, the only reason I know what day it is, uh, some days is because I have a calendar and I have to work. And if I I don't know what day it is, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We had a a two week break. They gave us once they closed the England program, they said, Mm -hmm. we're going to, we haven't gone on mid semester break yet. We're going on that now. Yeah. And we're going to make two weeks instead of one. So Mm -hmm. everyone can get home. And people can adjust to being online because a lot of my teachers have not taught online. Ah, uh, yeah. So that's been interesting also to watch how they are adapting um, and the different techniques that they might try. Um, it's particularly interesting because I think a little bit of a development from my last time giving an interview, I mm-hmm. am considering the path of higher education more and like getting a higher degree in philosophy and working more in that field. So it's interesting from the side of like the pedagogical side Mm -hmm. of how are people doing this? Um, How is this affecting um, people in different situations as well? Uh, I think it's one interesting view to see it from uh, people who are dealing with different time zones Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, most of, the people teaching the classes now are teaching them at four o'clock and six o'clock in the afternoon. Right. Um, but my, one of the people is in Seattle and she's just waking up when we get on to our Jane Austen class. So, right. Right. Yeah. Cause 
Well, four in the afternoon here is about 10 a.m. there. I have to remember all. No, it's about 1 p.m. there. I have to remember all of this because uh, uh, globally distributed company. So I'm at least really okay. aware of my uh, U.S. and Canada counterparts because we're all sort of in the same group. Right. But yeah, my boss is in New Zealand, so he's not. He's coming on for his Wednesday when I'm ending my day Tuesday. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I guess it's making it, uh, yeah, because if, if you're much more of a, I want to get my stuff done in the morning, or I can get my stuff done in the morning, mm -hmm. but then the class isn't actually until, you know, almost dinner time. Uh, that makes it, you know, a little different, a little a little more right. difficult. Yeah. And I'm lucky that I'm, I prefer to have my classes in the morning. Mm -hmm. So that, that's good for me. Yeah. Um, but some people don't like that. And right. I mean, that's something that you come across in most mm -hmm. um, college classes anyway. I'm looking at my schedule for the upcoming fall. Right. And there are some unavoidable afternoon classes and <laughs> sometimes you just have to bite the bullet on that one. Yeah, because uh, you're, you're running up into those, uh, uh, great, now I need these three classes to graduate and they're only offered right. one day a week uh, kind of time right. periods. Yeah. Luckily, everything worked out for the next semester because I'm, mm -hmm. I'm taking two senior seminars mm -hmm. um, for both of one for each of my major. Um, I'm taking one writing class for my literature major mm -hmm. and I'm taking a for fun class. I'm taking a French cuisine and culture um, course in French. So yeah, um, practicing that a little bit more. Yeah. So, but that, that really does leave some some interesting tidbits in there like would you how would you have have managed if say one actually conflicted with the other would you have had to extend an extra semester just to get that credit or so technically speaking <laughs> i actually took senior seminar last year oh okay um for philosophy mm -hmm. because the philosophy program at elon um, has no prerequisites for any of its courses. And uh. so you can take senior seminar early. Um, <laughs> but they also change the topic for senior seminar every year. Oh, okay. So I finished up my senior seminar on Hegel's The Science of Logic and me looking at, you know, the translation of a single word in two different versions of English and <laughs> loved it. Um, but... Then I found out that next fall, oh, there's going to be a, a class on um, feminist readings of Foucault, and we're going to be bringing in different professionals from different universities, including um, this really neat professional from a university that I want to go to for grad school. <laughs> um, and and, and it, it it goes right with your focus area and how can you not? Right to, yeah. right to the focus. I was, I was having this conversation saying, I would love to do some independent research, maybe on Foucault, maybe on French philosophy. I would love to read some philosophy in French mm -hmm. to kind of um, build on that language skill some. And my professor looked at me and she said, why don't you just take senior seminar again? <laughs> it's literally going to be the class that you want to take. Apparently. Um, yeah. So it would have been a hard decision to let one of those go. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So how, how do you think your, your teachers are handling the adjustment? You said that most of them have never done online courses before. Yeah. Mostly it's, it's going okay. The technical um, 
jump has been interesting. I did have one time this past week where all of the students were in one Google Meet hangout <laughs> and in a completely different one. Oh. Um, and then the email that we got was like, why is no one here? It's like, we're all here. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm actually that happens in corporate time too. So don't, you know, they, they shouldn't feel bad. Um, oh, right. Here's a new meeting invite. Cause we sent you the wrong information. Now everybody's at like half the group is in one meeting and half's in the other going, where's everybody? Oh, wait, there's an email here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was an interesting time, but it was more funny than anything else. Um, other than that, it's, it's interesting how different courses are managing it. You know, I, mm-hmm. I already had where I was checking in with my thesis mentor mm-hmm. while I was in England. Those were already sort of one-on-one Skype sessions. Right. Um, and my independent tutorial with the Oxford um, faculty member is still going on. That's still one-on-one. Oh, nice. Those I knew were going to be the easiest kind mm-hmm. of to transfer online because they are a lot of conversation based. The, the tutorial um, is very conversational. The only um, thing that's really different is I don't physically hand him my assignment <laughs> and he doesn't physically hand me um, my readings for the following week. Right, so in some right. ways, it's a little more, um, he's disguising the length a little bit of some of the readings because, you know, sometimes he would give me a big, thick stack of papers and I was like, oof, mm-hmm. this is going to be a fun, t- fun week. Um, and this time I have to open up the documents before I, I know how fun it's going to be. Oh, look, it's a whole stack of PDFs and they're all roughly the same size, but one's really tiny print. Oh, goody. Um, Um, so those have been fine. The, and I have three classes, which are the seminar classes. And now Mm -hmm. the seminar classes for the program that I was in, which is called advanced studies in England, Mm -hmm. um, are capped at 12 people. Okay. I think. Most of my classes were full. Mm-hmm. Um, I picked fairly popular literature courses. And so most of them, I think, have either 10 or 12 people. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a large-ish group, but it's a still a manageable size for right. an online format. It's not like a huge lecture hall or something along those lines. I think one of the most beneficial things is um, people learning to turn themselves on mute to eliminate background noise yeah um so i think once once we we figured that out as far as the first day i think after that we were pretty smooth on that but um you know a lot of the teachers are using some form of google classroom Mm -hmm. and we use the chat box within the um, like Google Meet, Google Hangouts um, yeah. application to communicate without turning on our mics. And like I said, different teachers are handling this differently. I have one teacher who is more of a moderator mm-hmm. um, within these sort of side comments. And then she might ask, okay, now people turn on their mics and talk. Um, I had my first class actually yesterday that had us break up into smaller groups and she had actually set up three different side hangouts so yeah. that people could go into a smaller group, discuss in a smaller group and then come back with one spokesperson and kind of share out from there. That's I see now that's I I'm loving hearing about this because um, 
having come from the corporate world mm-hmm. where these sorts of chats for a lot of people, um, even though, I mean, like I've been using them on and off for the last 20 years of my career, give or take. Um, okay. Maybe not even that long. Uh, but as it has been gaining popularity and hearing that people who are significantly younger than me, who are going to be entering the workforce are going to come in without having to learn those same lessons of, okay, you're joining a thing you should mute if you're not talking. And, you know, you can set these breakouts. Now, admittedly, that's, in terms of how this goes, a relatively new technology. Like, that Mm -hmm. isn't something we've traditionally had in the past when using this sort of technology. I mean, this is absolutely uh, phenomenal, and I think... Um, going to be a big help. And I understand this is the sort of thing that is being used from where you're at, late college studies, um, all the way down to like middle schools. Um, Absolutely. You know. Um, uh, and I think it'll be interesting too, because a lot of these students will also be familiar with many different platforms. Mm-hmm. I think last week between um, club meetings right. that we can attend now because they're all <laughs> virtual. Um, even though I wasn't expecting to take part this semester anyway. Right. Um, class meetings, individual meetings mm-hmm. with um, professors, both U.S. and U.K. based. Um, I think I was using four or five different platforms um, for different things. Yeah. And so that kind of um, cross-platform literacy, mm-hmm. I think, will also be helpful. Um, obviously, new platforms will emerge. Um, and new technologies will emerge, mm-hmm. but I think that will be an outcome as well is the ability to interchange between different platforms. Yeah, there's there's always been sort of this 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 is what I went to school on. This is what I had to, you know, this is what I know, and then having to unlearn a lot of right. it. Um, but having the exposure to multiple tools that do the same thing is uh, really good for that. Like it also leaves you more open, I think to trying new tools as they come out, uh, Mm -hmm. which is, yeah, uh, kind of important. Yeah. Acknowledge, you know, Mm -hmm. video chat platforms are not great for everyone. Right. Um, You know, for, for people who have limited uh, internet access, you know, this Mm -hmm. is a very difficult time in the academic world. Um, I have people who have chosen to remain on campus in a much more limited um, Mm -hmm. capacity because either they feel like they would not be able to succeed academically if they were to go home, Mm -hmm. their home is not a very welcoming environment, or they do not have access to the resources that they would need in order to succeed. And I think it's interesting to see how conversations around privacy and internet privacy will evolve out of this too. Uh, we've already found the big, the big problems with, uh, with zoom. And yeah. I, I admit I've been seeing updates from zoom saying we're fixing this, we're fixing this, but right. still, um, uh, but yeah, the, the changes in the privacy, the changes in, or the awareness of our privacy, I think, right. or lack thereof is, mm-hmm. uh, is a big thing. Like you and I, we're using Google for this particular chat. And Mm -hmm. uh, as an accessibility note, this is something I hadn't noticed on any other platform yet. There is now a captions button. And I had shared that um, because I was Mm -hmm. having a 
Facebook conversation um, with a professor at Elon who was saying she has a really hard time with visual, like video communication, mm-hmm. video mm-hmm. lectures. Um, that she's much more of a text-based person. She needs to read it. Right. And she had not heard of the the Google Meet captions options. But yeah. that's a really a really valuable thing as an accessibility tool and also as far as how people learn differently. I think that's really important. Absolutely. Or uh and and certainly I I'm becoming more sensitive to it. Uh Ursula mm-hmm. did a uh telemedicine thing earlier this week. Her first okay. telemedicine um uh, appointment and there was a big for her anyway uh, a bigger realization of how much she relies on lip reading when interacting with people mm-hmm. um that not a taught skill not a learned sort of a a, a self-taught learned to survive didn't realize she was doing it skill and uh, you know if more platforms had that auto caption button on it uh, right. huge, huge difference for accessibility for, uh, for that sort of thing. And of course, screen readers for the, for the opposite, mm-hmm. you know, and Sergey, you see what I have to put up with? <laughs> I'm very familiar. Yeah. I, uh, I, I left some things out on the, on the desk he likes to sleep on and now he's hold on buddy. No, I'm not going to take you to feed you right now. I'm in the middle of something. You know how that works. But I'm gonna. There we go. <clears throat> I, and I'm finding. Is that better, buddy? Okay. Uh, I'm finding <laughs> that uh, people are much more like now. They're much more forgiving than they would have been two months ago about this sort of thing. Uh, Absolutely. Everybody is sharing, whether it's in class or uh, uh, work related or whatever, um, sharing their pets. Sharing, yeah. you know, I mean, it's it's been this this astounding thing happening. Um, mm-hmm. How how are your teachers dealing with those sorts of interruptions? Well, you know, yesterday one of my cats jumped on my desk, and she was, and my professor was like, "Oh, it's a cat! It's brilliant!" Um, <laughs> very exciting. It was also very well timed because mm-hmm. my. My cat, named after Lizzie Bennett, came in during Jane Austen. Oh, there you go. Yeah, um, yeah. So, you know, not too much of an interruption. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're not as noticed. I, I had her on my lap during um, one of my classes, and no one even commented on it. Um, so I think that's interesting, too, how it's becoming more normalized. Yeah. yeah. Um, I haven't had any bigger interruptions. You know, I have a younger brother, but he's almost 17 now. So the interruption I have to worry about in that regard is whether his base amp is turned up too high. Um. (laughs) We have to worry about the streaming. Is the streaming degrading the rest of our internet connectivity, right? right? Because his senior project involves Twitch streams. um, Okay. For for Jacob. Um, And my my sister was talking about how her daughter, my niece, um, uh, who's in the Charlotte Mecklenburg system, um, Mm -hmm. how one of her teachers was showing up with a different chicken on her lap every day. I know, right? I'm like, why couldn't I have had teachers like that <laughs> years ago? Yeah, and <laughs> I think people get really excited. You know, that's that's always been something I had observed among college students is mm-hmm. everyone is very willing to both share and look at pictures of pets mm-hmm. and small children. Okay. Um, and anytime pets or small children came onto campus, 
that was a big deal. Okay. So I think it it's a continuation of um, the sort of um, that sort of college mentality, at least among students. And um, it's it's an adjustment that's happening in the corporate world, uh, right? Especially, think, yeah. The definition of what counts as professional is changing a little bit in um, response to you know everyone is at home. So yes, you might have to deal with the sound of my dog barking. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, it, it'll be really, I, I'm gonna, it's the long-term implications I think are going to be interesting. Yes. Um, uh, especially with the question of working from home, but also mm-hmm. again, the sort of accessibility of whether or not you have internet in a space, which is private. Right. Right. Um, so I, I think those sorts of questions are ones that we have to keep thinking about. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those are questions that have been going on, I know, a little bit with the philosophy department at Elon. You know, we're mm-hmm. very well positioned to think about ethics. <laughs> um, so that that's going to be interesting to see how things developed and, mm-hmm. and see how things evolve. I know one, um, I was watching a, a video panel. It was going to be given at a conference, but they decided to do like a, a Zoom type stream yeah. platform. Mm-hmm. Um, so they could still give the presentation, and they altered it slightly to mm-hmm. talk about um, coronavirus capitalism. Okay, and they talked yeah. about um, resistance activities and how if everything, you know, and you know, you could take this into sort of conspiracy theory territory. But if everything is observable in communication, mm-hmm. that could be a avenue of concern. Um, depending on the type of resistance. I know there was, um, Elon University has been dealing with, you know, the, the adjunct faculty have been wanting to unionize. Ah, um, yeah, for, yeah. Um, a while now. And they had their first, I think they had a meeting and I saw where there was like a virtual strike at, a, at another school. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's interesting too, to think about these actions of resistance and, um, movements for social justice and how that can change. You know, one of the big tools of social justice being a, a protest. Um, right, right. It, in this sort of situation, it's not responsible to ask people to gather in those sorts of numbers. So it's also changing how we might think about um, social resistance and change. Yeah, well, and I've also been looking at, um, uh, and going back to sort of the privacy thing, is... Um, there was a company I saw uh, an absolutely amazing breakdown. Um, they have anonymized uh, as much as you can do those sorts of things, uh, phone tracking data. Mm. So they could take basically without specifically identifying a person, although there would probably be enough information there to identify a specific person, but um, we're able to say, here's a section of beach during, say, spring break. Here is the movement of cell phones in that area, and then following the cell phones when they, you know, drive home or they fly. Uh, That one was always interesting because it would be like, you know, kind of congregate in one spot, and then they would start reappearing at the other side. So they would Mm -hmm. have to draw the lines because you wouldn't know that was somebody traveling from here to there other than that. But showing how they contacted other people and what just that looked like. There's a lot of 
Um, China used it effectively, but China can do that because they have very different laws um, mm-hmm. to track the spread of coronavirus. And Absolutely. yeah, but and Google and Apple just announced a partnership where they're going to be working on the same thing. Right. I think that's. But that's where does that fall in the privacy aspect? Yeah. 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 Right. Um, and, it, and it's sort of the question. I know a lot of mm-hmm. people were talking about the different sort of responses to the coronavirus and mm-hmm. um, countries where they literally were knocking on people's doors and handing them a test. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're going to have to do this now yes. um, versus more sort of case by case or vol- almost voluntary mm-hmm. test taking. Um, right. And how that is kind of skewing the numbers as far as predicting spread. Like I said, trying to avoid some of that news. Mm -hmm. um, Just kind of trying to keep it as local as possible. Trying to focus in because all of this takes a lot of brain space. It does. It does. Um, One one side note, uh, Iceland, one of the few countries in the world that can do this, basically tested everybody. But then again, mm-hmm. this is the country who, in order to make sure they had enough genetic diversity, did a genetic test on every member, uh, every citizen, every person in the country, and then had an app where nice. you could, like, if you were meeting at a music festival and maybe things were getting a little serious, you could bonk the app, your phones together to see if you were too closely related. Well, that could be interesting. Right. Yeah. Oh dear. Yes. Apparently you're my, you're, you're only my second cousin after all, but that's, but Iceland is so small and so So interrelated already. They're like, yeah, yeah, this is a, this is a concern. Um, I find it fascinating. I find it fascinating. It is fascinating. And the ability to have it on the phone as well. Yeah. Is very interesting. Um, All right. So I think that, that covers some of the big things as mm-hmm. far as the online learning. I think we did kind of touch on this with the captioning. Yeah. But I think yeah. finding ways to stay focused. Oh, during, absolutely. Um, if it's, you know, especially I've found in the past, if it's a video that's not kind of a live video, but like a pre-recorded lecture or an informational video, mm-hmm. I'm an avid doodler. Um, so I now have started, um, I have a, a pad of sticky notes by my desk and I started just <laughs> making a stack of finished sticky notes that I've covered with doodles um, just to keep me focused uh, you know years of having parents read to me and then mm-hmm. listening to podcasts and audiobooks my audio audio processing is pretty good right. um, so I'm able to focus more when I'm doing something else with my hands okay yeah um, so that helps me Obviously, might not help everyone, but finding the thing that helps you focus is yeah. really good because you don't have as much you don't have as much outside stimulus as well. You don't have other people shifting in the classroom. Um, it's it's harder in a video chat sometimes to see sort of body um, cues. Mm-hmm. That's been I think the the most interesting thing as far as just telling when someone's done speaking or transitioning over okay now over to you allison to talk about your point yes Um, yes it's harder to do that when you can't see someone's whole body Mm -hmm. um but i think that's also interesting in terms of focus and the sort of training that we receive from a very young age to be very still in the classroom um right is 
it, it's an interesting shift when you go to online learning, I think. So finding those things that help you focus is really important. Yeah. And uh, again, as someone who's been working from home for a long time now, God, has it been nine years? It's been nine years. Uh, uh, there, there are strategies you can employ. The nice thing is you don't have to sit still. Right. They, no one has to know that you're dancing from the waist down because all they're seeing is from like the, the, the chest up. Um, mm-hmm. You know, or maybe you're playing, you're practicing your, your soccer dribble under your desk. No one has to know that as long as it's quiet. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the, the strategies, everyone has a different strategy for staying focused mm-hmm. or maintaining the focus they need for the task at hand before they can take a break. Right. Um, and I have found um, I'm starting to trust myself when I'm becoming unfocused more. Mm-hmm. Um, which was something that I think is kind of an unlearning process from, you know, early schooling. You you have to do this one project within this set amount of time. But, um, you know, the other day I was reading through a very dense article about, um, queer temporality and queer theory in general is, Mm -hmm. and sort of foundationalism is a lot. Um, Oh yeah. (laughs) Um, kind of parsing a lot of the language in it was very difficult so you know learning especially as an undergraduate student also to note when that distraction is not a reflection of you but maybe a reflection of how the article was written Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um or if there's some sort of external thing i think that's important too i think you know knowing yourself well and knowing when that's a okay this is me needing to get up and get a drink of water and come back down Right. Um, or this is not very well written and I'm having a hard time focusing. Yeah. I need to take a break just to, to digest, let my brain digest and, you know, catch up a little bit with Mm -hmm. this. Like it wasn't that it was poorly written. It Mm -hmm. was just so dense. You know, I would get through two paragraphs and it's like, okay, let's take 10 seconds to doodle or something and let that settle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Um, It feels very wrong in some ways initially it's like oh i'm not mm-hmm. i'm not doing this in the optimum amount of time and what is is much more important is if you were stuck at a desk trying to get through it it would probably be much harder mm-hmm. um there are, i guess there are studies out there about uh, um learning and naps probably i'm not a nap person in yeah, general. yeah i i apparently refuse to take a nap at, at about three and haven't gone back um, unless I'm actually ill. Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm not much of a nap person unless I really. Uh, um, I think last weekend I took one like on Sunday, but I had spent Saturday and Sunday. We were doing. I was helping in the garden, and and there was a mm-hmm. lot of physical activity. I'm just like, okay, I'm done now. Um, right. That has been important too. The sort of physical activity mm-hmm. aspect. Um, I've been walking around the neighborhood with my brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been working in the garden. Um, my Taekwondo studio is no longer doing in-person classes, but they're streaming them. Oh, okay. Cool. Cool. So it's a little bit different, but, you know, still mm-hmm. being able to um, do that sort of physical activity as much as possible, I think has been nice too, just to kind of get out of the immediate vicinity of the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not someone who likes to go to a gym or do sort of, what I, I can't unthink of it as pointless physical activity. Same. 
same. I, yeah. I like to have a point to it. That's why I take Taekwondo. Yeah. Uh, um, and, and the nice thing is, at least here in our portion of the Northern Hemisphere, as the days are getting longer, spring is springing. Um, that means that, like, if I finish work at 6, I, it's not dark outside. Right. So absolutely. you can take that break and you don't have to feel like you're rushed to immediately have dinner and all that stuff. You can go outside. There's the <laughs> sun's out. It's it's pleasant. A little cold right now. A little cold right, right now. Yeah. I think we had I, frost I last night. I yeah. on, on the colder side than the warmer side. Yeah, um, I generally do too. The, the philosophy that if I'm cold, I can do things to warm up. If I'm hot, there's only so much I can do. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um. Yeah, but uh, you know, it's it's been nice to be able to say, well, I guess I'm I'm just about done working, and it's not dark outside. I could actually go stand outside with my chickens and let everything go before I, you know, or walk mm -hmm. the dog. I'm not a dog walker. I'll stand out with the chickens. Everyone knows that chickens <laughs> was where this was going. Um, right. You know, uh, it's it's been really nice, right? Mm -hmm. um, but and I think that's something that we miss out on with the not working from home because right. there's this get up, leave, drive forever, work, drive forever. And now that I'm home, I have to do all this stuff. Right. Um, and even, um, it was interesting to me in, you know, even when I was living on campus, mm -hmm. that would be times where I would be able to walk, um, between classrooms, right. between, where I was living and, um, you know, the library, I switched locations of where I was living between my sophomore and junior year. Mm -hmm. um, and my junior year, I was living a little bit further away from the campus center. So I, right. I would pack for a longer period of time mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and bring a lot more with me. So it was more like a walking commute more so than, okay, that class is over. Let me go grab my next class's books. And then, yeah, yeah. I ended up, actually walking less overall, which I mm -hmm. thought was interesting. Um, and I kind of started to miss that outdoor time. Um, so I think that's, and that's for someone who was living on a campus and walking to go everywhere. Yeah. Um, basically that's not even considering someone who has a driving commute. Um, so that's, that's also, um, interesting in terms of the sort of working from home because a lot of people, a lot of college students, um, a lot of people who traditionally have say like a desk job, mm -hmm. are having to consciously think about like when they might go outside. Right. Right. And not everyone has a backyard that they can go out and, um, sit in for the afternoon to do their work. But, right. um, I think that that will continue to be very important. <laughs> or, or, you know, if you have a balcony on your apartment, go right. out on the balcony. If you have a window you can open, open the window. If you're, <laughs> you know, like me, terrified, you'll go to the park and no one will respect the rules of social distancing. It's. Right. <laughs> and of course, we're, you know, spring is springing and thus there is pollen. Um, oh, so that's God. always fun is, is this allergies or do I have, uh, something worse? Yeah. Um, um and I, I have learned to tell the difference. It's very right. simple. If I'm fine and then I go outside and I come in and I'm not fine, it's allergies, period, exclamation mm -hmm. point. It's allergies. Um, if it's in my nose, it's allergies. So everything's been allergies for the last month. Right. And, uh, 
uh, because we were in Tibet this time last year, I missed it. So I forgot. Right. Okay. You know, um, we, we, we came back, we left just before the trees just exploded with pollen and we got back just after they were about done. And, um, from a pollen perspective, I kind of miss, miss rural China. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> that, I, I was uh, interested to see how he's going to react to a British spring because, right. you know, different place, different pollens, but mm-hmm. also a more rainy climate mm-hmm. putting down the pollen more. That, that would have been interesting. Spring was really just kind of beginning when yeah. we were all home. Um, but, it was still an enjoyable time. Bath is a, a little bit more mild. Mm-hmm. Um, more in the southwest um, yeah, corner, yeah. more so. So um, I had a hard time converting to Celsius. Um, but, you know, the colder days didn't get much below 30 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Berlin in summer is beautiful, if you ever get mm-hmm. a chance. Uh mm-hmm. We got to spend a week there, courtesy of your reference. It was uh, it was uh, very nice, um, but yeah, no pollen. Oh, it was great. No pollen. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, um, there was one other big change you've had in the last year that we haven't talked about. Mm-hmm. And you said you did a deliberate name change. Yes. So. The last time I was interviewed, I had the hyphenated last name, which was mm-hmm. kind of a, a chosen name. My my official name then was Emily Guyton. Mm-hmm. Um, I was hyphenating for Guyton Lang, and that Lang is the last name for my mom and my stepdad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I made the decision a while back, but you know, over this past summer, I actually put that into motion. Right. Um, and it was a lot. Um, to change. And I was, um, I was keeping, you know, I was adding Lang on the end as my last name, but, you know, mm-hmm. keeping um, the Guyton as another middle name. And right. so in some parts, not as dramatic than others, but mm-hmm. in North Carolina, um, if you are not changing your name as a result of a marriage, divorce, or adoption, you have to go through a lot of extra steps. Right. And yeah. that includes, um, we went the route of working with a lawyer mm-hmm. um, just because there was a lot to handle and you do have to get a court order um, in order to officially change your name. That's that's so, actually pretty common in most states, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, first of all, it was quite a bit of money. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're paying for a lawyer luckily we um uh, we have a family member that works in a law firm so we kind of got a little bit of a discount the friends and family rate yeah <laughs> a little bit <laughs> yeah, yeah um but it was um still I, a both state level and federal background checks mm-hmm. so um two sets of fingerprints which cost money there oh, were yeah. um you know various trips back and forth and all of this was going on while I was in college. So if I had to go, if I had to sign something, it would have to be during a school break when I could go home and actually go in to physically sign the paperwork. Um, And 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 the federal government uh, or the government is not always appreciative of that. 
Um, sometimes right. they just and say, they, show up at this day and time and tough. Right. And there were, um, there was an interesting thing where this was going on. I was getting my background check when the government shut down for uh, that larger bit of time. Oh, yes, yes. So that also added to some delays. I remember it well. And so overall, you know, everything mm-hmm. worked out. But then, like, once everything has officially... I've now, this upcoming summer in, like, late July will be when I, I've had the change name mm. for a whole year. Okay. I still have things that have not been switched over. Oh, I'm sure. Um, Probably continue to have things that have not been switched over yet. I um, I remember when my ex-wife changed her name when we got married. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it was... Um, it was years before like things caught up and had she changed her name back after we got divorced. Um, it may still be yours. Uh, there are still points where I have to go on the credit onto the credit report and say, that's not me. That's my ex-wife. We've been divorced for a decade now. Right. right well, and over a decade now. Things, yeah. Um, that have made that interesting too, because you know, with, being at a university, the university makes your email address based right. on your name. Yep. Um, so I had the choice of, do I want to switch over my email? I ended up sticking with the same email that I've had for the first two years. Because mm-hmm. um, the official change went into effect in between my sophomore and junior years. Um, I've had to field the question of whether I got married over the summer <laughs> um, a couple times. And I was like, no. No, no, no. Not, not my thing. No, no, no. Um, and so that's been interesting. But, you know, having the little email name at the bottom of things and yeah. having a name tag that's Emily, parentheses, Guyton, Lang, to mm-hmm. remind people, yes, I am the same person. Um, the actual yeah. official, like, switching things over with the university went really smoothly. Yeah. Surprisingly. Um. But, you know, lots of copies of the court order were made. And yeah. I still have a couple copies that I keep on hand. I kept them on hand while I was traveling abroad. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to switch over my passport. And this change occurred right after I had gotten accepted to my study abroad program. So I had to get my passport changed and update them so that they... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All of the correct stuff. One, one moment. Sergi, Sergi, I will feed you soon. Please stop destroying my office. Oh, God. He wants hugs. Um, yeah. Note-taking may be a little sporadic from this point on. Come here, buddy. There. But the hugs are more important. <sighs> well, if you're Sergi. There. Yeah. We'll see how long it lasts. Usually when I'm like, okay, you're getting hugs now. Obviously, what you need is hugs. He's like, I'm I'm done here. I <laughs> I don't know if you can hear if it's picking up me scratching the back of his head on microphone. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, that may be uh, something else. I think that's the dog walking around. Okay. Hi. Yeah. So it's, um, it's a lot to still like continually right. have to switch over. Um, and you know, luckily for me, it was, it was a last name, which is kind of, you know, sometimes it's more difficult. Sometimes it's less difficult. People still call me Emily. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's still fine. It's 
it's weird um, because, and I was even talking to my mom who was like, I haven't been um, like using my maiden name for many years at this point. Mm-hmm. And I went to sign something with my maiden name the other day. Like it's, I think it's interesting yeah. how that can continue to be a little bit of a dissonance. Um, uh, yeah. And, and a lot, I think depends on, um, you know, how, how long the difference is between when you were, when you stopped using one name and, and into the other, in a lot of ways, you know, it's, it's like writing 2019 on your checks in February of 2020. Not that anyone I know writes checks anymore. Um, <laughs> someday I'm going to make that statement. They're all and somebody and, Someone's going to look at me and go, what's a check? And be serious, and I'm going to feel really old. But, um, but like, my, uh, my, uh, my ex and I, we didn't get married until we were both in our mid-20s. So there's 20 years of habit, say, writing mm-hmm. the same name, and it doesn't break easily. Right. right? So I, and mm-hmm. I had – I was 20 when the yeah. name changed yeah. into effect. So um, – same kind of concept there. Yeah. Um, but I think I'm very glad that I did it. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and it's interesting now to think of people who I have met since then who mm-hmm. only know me as Emily Lang. Right. Um, and I'm starting, I had an, an article accepted by a professional journal, um, so, <laughs> which was very exciting. Um, but my publications will all be under one name. And that's right. part of why I wanted to go ahead and change it mm-hmm. earlier rather than later because I knew that I was working on this big thesis that mm-hmm. too long to be submitted in entirety anywhere. Um, <laughs> but which I can break up into smaller chunks right. and um, ask for people to put in print. Yeah. And, and uh, that part of that's also about building a professional brand. Absolutely. Right? You know, uh, something uh, I know, um, like Ursula did not change her name uh, for her first marriage. She obviously didn't change it when we got married. Um, And a lot of that was around, I'm already sort of showing as this person. It's weird when people call me Mr. Vernon, like in hotels, uh, because the hotel is booked in her name. Uh, Mm -hmm. But um, overall, you know, I think uh, it's from from a professional standpoint from a personal standpoint i think it's it's part of that maintaining that maintaining your identity maintaining your branding and i think that's important right yeah and i will say i have no plans of changing my name again <laughs> i you know i considered it mm-hmm. um in thinking about you know would i change my name if i got married you know, in the past, the question, the answer was, eh, I don't know, maybe depends on the name. And unless the name is really, really cool, I'm not doing it again. Yes, yes. I, I have a friend who got married and um, she had a very long um, Hebrew last name. Mm-hmm. And I asked her, so are you going to change your name? And she said, yes, my husband is Asian. His last name is two letters. Of course, I'm changing my name. I'm like, <laughs> okay, yes, all right, fine. Fine, okay, yeah. 
I'm like, yeah, I think um, as far as the name change, it's mm-hmm. it's a lot of work up front. Yeah. Um, but I will say, people who do have the resources on hand mm-hmm. and are kind of in the place where they're able and willing to do that work, um, if it's going to be something that makes them happier, do it. Yeah. Um, and I think it's also, uh, I will say, uh, we are privileged to be able to do that. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, and I I feel for some of my uh, trans friends and uh, friends who have been through rough relationships and would like to get rid of that name and can't afford to, or are stuck legally with a dead name because they literally can't afford to change it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, uh, incredibly lucky to be able to do it. Yes. For the rest of us. Yeah. So, yeah, there's that. <laughs> um. Okay, yeah, I'm going to put down a quick warning for minor privilege. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I'm trying to be really good about this with the with the with the content warnings or the trigger warnings or things like that. I have noticed the more, and I I appreciate them. I know as one, I don't always um, I don't always have the particular need mm-hmm. for them, but. I will say there were some, um, we recently lost a member of our pet family. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so like that warning was very useful. And yeah, then maybe yeah. I went to wait a week or two. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Until I processed some of my own grief. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I know that that's, um, uh, that's a very good thing to, to think about and, be cognizant of yes certainly certainly working on it trying trying Um, anything else um i think that's mainly it i know Mm -hmm. one thing the like i said my the bones of my productivity Mm -hmm. have not really changed since right i'm still a semi bullet journal user (laughs) um in that i start with a blank dot grid notebook and I, I do um, do like more of the fun layouts, but I do them all at the beginning of the year. Um, my, starting on Thanksgiving break is when I start c- sort of creating. Right. And that's a sort of artistic project for, you know, a month or two. Mm-hmm. And then it's done. So during the months, I don't have to dedicate three hours of my week to doing right. a layout. Mm-hmm. I've already done that work. Um and I can also plan things out much further in advance because I'm not drawing it in a month at a time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. Um, the only thing that's really changed with that is that I'm trying to do more um, active long-form journaling as well as using it as a calendar. So for this year, I left in extra spaces um, for uh, more long-form journaling and especially for while I was abroad mm-hmm. um, you know for those who can't see at home but you know lots of oh, things I see washi tape and, and postcards tape and yeah and postcards and tickets to rugby games and mm-hmm. um, everything in between so allowing myself more of that time to write more detailed notes not just of what I had to do for the day, but also what I did mm-hmm. and what I did outside of productivity. Right. So I think that's been helpful for me. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something I'm considering in the future changing even more. I'm considering changing um, from just the single bound journal. I do like the bound journal as opposed to like a ring or a disc bound. Yeah. Um, I have tried them before, but I've thought about using a traveler's notebook system instead. Oh, yeah, so yeah. For the calendar, one book for the journal, but I still have it all in one place. Mm-hmm. If I don't have it in one place, it's not going to. Happen. It doesn't exist. I um, I was really fascinated. It's not for me. I, I have mm-hmm. tried it um at the uh, the Jibun Teco that we talked about on the, this past letter show that at least two people because it has three sections and they it it all fits together so okay. that. Like there's a section that is your for like your schedule and that sort of thing. Then there's the more notes and drawing um, parts. And since they're kind of interchangeable, you can say, okay, this notebook of notes is full. I can set it aside and put a new one in, but I've still right. got the original kind of thing. Um, right. That's kind of what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. I would love to have some things like keeping track of what I've been reading and um, like yearly things in one notebook mm-hmm. but able to go back to an academic um year calendar layout right i think right. for me right now I'm, I'm doing sort of the calendar year mm-hmm. layout because i have the material for like these are my yearly things at the beginning and <laughs> the end but um i think playing around with the Um, flexibility of a traveler's notebook would be interesting. And I'm at the stage where I know where I would use it enough that I'm willing to invest a little bit in a cover that I really like. Yeah. uh, Or you can even, um, as I was finding, you can get the traveler's notebook size, just either unlined or dot grid or lined notebooks for cheap. They aren't the traveler's brand, but they're the right size and the right thickness and you know also play around with paper mm-hmm. thickness could be useful. Um because I I've been really satisfied. You know, I just use a Michaels brand dot grid notebook. Right. I had bought uh one of the Luke term lecturm uh, lecturums, yeah I think. Um and the ghosting on that was so bad compared to the $5 Michael's notebook. Um, <laughs> so that was just an interesting buying experience, but you know, having perhaps like thicker paper where I'm doing mm-hmm. more journaling with heavier things being glued in versus right. um, my calendar where I'm, I'm basically using a pen and pencil all the time. Yeah. Um, um, you might also find a pencil board helps with that too, with the thinner mm-hmm. paper. Um, I've been experimenting with it on my, um, uh, I will remember my Filofax. Okay. Because the Filofax paper is a little thinner and I'll use a kind of a heavier ink and I've got a heavier hand. Mm-hmm. So I do get some, some, uh, some fade through, um, some ghosting, uh, but I'm finding that at least I'm not getting bleed through if I've got like a, uh, harder surface underneath it and I'm less likely to push down hard because it doesn't feel as soft on my hand when I'm writing. I enjoy the soft feeling and writing on thick paper. That's nice. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't mind that. It's just if it's a really thin paper and I'm feeling that, I, I feel like I need to bear down more. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, yes. That's really the, the mm-hmm. main 
productivity change. Um, Mm -hmm. Other than that, I think it's, it's mainly been, there have been elements of the last year and a half or so since we last talked that Mm -hmm. have tested my productivity um, and and tested these methods a little bit Mm -hmm. um, and tested how I organize things and how I kind of balance myself and try to forgive myself when I am not super productive all the time. And I think kind of bringing it back to, you know, most of our discussion today was about online learning and the Mm -hmm. wake of Mm -hmm. the coronavirus. And I think being forgiving yourself is one of the biggest things. Oh, so much so. Yeah. Um, And for me as a very academically driven person um, Mm -hmm. that might be telling myself, yes, it is okay if, this is not 110% on this paper this time around because there is a global pandemic. Yeah. You, you have permission to not find three more sources. Right. And there's also one of my favorite standbys, perfect is the enemy of done. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, have your online presence changed any since the last time we spoke Um, my instagram handle has changed okay so it is now let me just make sure that i'm giving you the right one Mm -hmm. is um emily uh mg lang all one word together all lowercase and i will spell lang correctly (laughs) (laughs) and i'm and that has a link on it, and there's the link mm-hmm. to my blog at Never Idly Dreaming um, yep. is still the same. Um, mm-hmm. And I am posting to that a little less regularly. I had been posting um, for about two-ish years, um, every week, sometimes multiple times a week, mm-hmm. on a fairly consistent basis. Um, but going into fall of my junior year this year, um, that was a lot. Yeah. Um, and it was, I've kind of shifted in terms of focus a little bit since when I started the blog, when I started the blog, I was doing a lot more, um, creative writing mm-hmm. and the creative writing I do now is much more a practice for me personally. It's much more of a creative project that I'm trying to kind of disengage from the stress of, Oh, I want to get something published. Right. Right. Um, and I'm devoting a lot of creativity towards my academic work. And mm-hmm. um, as someone who wants to go into academia, I don't see that changing. <laughs> uh, so, right. um, it has shifted a little bit more to account for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm still posting to it. And there's lots of pictures from Bath. Um, on there, there's lots of pictures of bullet journals and, um, planners and such. Right on. Some of my favorite content anyway. Absolutely. <laughs> when it's not that pictures of chickens, right? So. Right. <laughs> um, thank you so much. Thank you. That's this was a pleasure. Absolute pleasure to talk to you again. And, uh, for the people at home, we'll be right back after this.
we are back. A uh, big thank you to Emily for coming back to talk to us. Mm-hmm. Um, a big thank you to everyone who's listened this far. You know how it goes. <laughs> Put up with my maundering about trains <laughs> and our discussion of, of virtual meetings. And uh, by the way, weren't you going to talk about poop? Yeah, uh, we will talk about poop uh, right after I give the word for the week. So yes. that if people don't want to suffer through the talk of poop to get to the word for the week, then they don't have to. This is chicken poop, actually, and it's kind of weirdly fascinating. Yeah, uh, but uh, I wanted to, to get through this. Our uh, word for our badge code for this week is Oxford in honor of Emily's almost but not quite internship in England. Uh, it was cut – you haven't listened to the interview. It was cut short because of the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but otherwise, uh, that'll be our badge code this week. You can find out more about badges at productivityalchemy.com under the badge how-to. Okay, so chicken poop. Specifically, I imagine broody poop. Broody poop. And broody poop is a thing. Like, a broody chicken, like most chickens wander around every day and they just sort of poop a little bit and they keep doing their bit, you know, and go on about it. Um, broody hens spend almost all day sitting in one spot, keeping those eggs warm in this sort of trance. Yeah, they are. They are like in this weird self-hypnotic, I am an incubation machine. And they only move in that mode basically to either pull in an egg or to bite or peck something that comes too close. Usually Kevin's hand. Right. And then once a day, they get up. They they get up, (laughs) they walk about, they eat, and they take this massive, stanky, green poop. Like exceptionally large by any any proportional. You you would not believe it comes out of a, a body the size of a football. Yeah, and we knew today that she was done with the broody time because she got up to eat with the chicks and was sort of wandering around, and she took the massive broody poop. I mean, it was like a projectile stream. Across the remaining eggs. And at that point, we figured she was done being an incubator. So done. So done. And what breaks a hen out of being broody is having having the chicks hatch. Yes. And she had had four chicks hatch, and she was now finished sitting on eggs. She's done. Yeah. She's done. Yeah. Uh, which is was sort of okay, but we have – I've been slowly removing eggs and putting them in an incubator because I knew this day was coming any time now. And so I just went out, got the last four eggs, wiped the poop off of them, and, and put them in these. Oh my god, I haven't smelled something that rank since my own children were in diapers. Holy shit, monkeys! Uh, that it was vile. It yes. was vile on levels I haven't smelled since the early days of parenting and never wish to smell again. Now, an interesting thing is this is why you don't want your hens to go broody unless you have something for them to hatch. Yes. Because they will never come out left to their own devices. Right. They they go into this mode where they sit on something until it hatches. And in fact, a couple of breeds, silkies are notorious for this uh, oh old God. English game, Yeah. Uh, will go broody at the drop of a hat. They'll find a golf ball and they'll be like, this is my egg. I sit on it forever now. And there are a lot of tricks for basically rebooting your chicken. 
and to get her unbroody again. And I basically just go buy a couple day old chicks, shove them under her, and pull out whatever it was she thought was the egg to brood on. Yes, uh, which has worked, you know, so far. And in this case, she actually hatched the eggs, which was fantastic. Which is exactly what what I wanted. I, yeah. I, you know, rather than get day old chicks, I wanted to make sure that the system works as intended. But uh, Buffy, you know, is trying her best, but she is not the mother that little goth hen was. She's she's being very good with the four she has. Good, good. Uh, I watch her yeah. all day. Yeah, I have been streaming chicken TV for those, like, I go through my morning barrage of meetings, and then somewhere around the end of, during the virtual time, as it were, uh, at the end of that, I flip on, uh, basically, I turn on OBS and broadcast a view of the coop that she and the chicks are in live. So I've been yes. live streaming chickens all week. And Everybody, you can get a link to that on Kevin's Twitter. Uh, I'll also put it in the show notes. Yes. But... We don't know how long that'll happen because eventually they'll want to leave the coop and then the coop may just be a, a view I'm, of an empty thing. But I have a camera outside the coop too. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I have cameras all over the place. It's a surveillance state if you're a chicken around here. It really is. Uh, so there are <laughs> a total right now of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine cameras all pointing at chicken areas. I can look at my chickens 24 hours a day uh, from and multiple sometimes animals. he does. And sometimes I do. Uh, and so this may just be something we do during the interesting times because it's not – Watching a chicken sleep, and I have—I actually have the stream up in my office on two different monitors right now, just because that's how it's set up at the moment. Um, Sergey, little orange, please don't have a fight in the middle of my cords. It's very soothing, and it it's, really is. It's, it's delightful to watch the chicks running around because they climb on top of their mom, and you know and they wander around, and they're so tiny. They're like parodies of grown-up chickens, scratching and pecking. And I can watch chickens drink water all day. Yeah, it's the most adorable thing. And so uh, we've been doing that, and and you know, if you feel free to come watch chickens, uh, but I sort of yeah. So broody poops. Amazing, just amazing thing. Amazing and disgusting. Yes. So, uh, and yes, uh, she has four chicks that are hers now, and we're not quite four sure. Four chicks that she hatched. Oh, that she hatched. They, they don't necessarily, I, I don't think any of them actually are hers. Uh, I, I don't see any of her eggs in the incubator. Okay, yeah. There's, so uh, there may be one or two in there that are actually hers. If we get big, floofy ninja babies, I'm going to laugh my ass off. That would be hilarious. Yes. Uh, but uh, the big problem is that when chicks vary too much in age after a point, like if one of the eggs upstairs hatches tonight, which it, since one's pipping and zipping seems likely it could happen, Yeah. Uh, trying to shove a freshly hatched chick under her she might like it and take to it, but the it won't be able to keep up with the other chicks who, at you know, like at three days old, chicks are very precocious at this point and are bouncing all over the place. So. Uh, are they th they're f four days old. Four days old, yeah. Except for the one who's five days and is much more precocious than the others. Yeah. Um, and the wobbly one, which, you know, who knows. But uh, Wobbly one is catching up. Yeah. 
Uh, so there is an excellent chance that what comes out of this is actually Kevin raising any survivors in uh, his office. And again, uh, if we only get one out of it, that is kind of a problem because chicks become lonely. So he will have to go to the feed store and get two more, basically. And of mm-hmm. since there's a real run on chicks, it is a you will get whatever they have and you'll be grateful they had them. Unfortunately, Kinda, yeah, yeah. yeah so. As long as I don't have to get quail or ducks. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. So, but uh, anyway, you don't want your chicken to go broody for too long because they will just sit in a stupor and it's hard on their system. I mean, they can stay that way for months and that's really not good for a chicken. Yeah. Meanwhile, she's currently asleep with her butt between the two chick feed stations uh, and the water nearby. So... And she's perfectly happy. She has her, her babies. That's what she wanted. There are four of them under her. Yeah, I I had to confirm for something. Somebody's like, where's the third one? Where's the wobbly one? And I was like, I, I had gone out to check and steal eggs and had disturbed her enough that she stood up. And the wobbly one was under her. Everybody's really, that's the one we're the most worried about who may not make well, it. Well, and it's human nature to root for the underdog. Yeah, you know, we really we really want the wobbly one to make it because if the wobbly one can make it, maybe we can too. You know, it's yeah. So, and and this is a hard thing to do with with chickens, at least because um, they're very fragile at this stage, and they chickens develop are nature snack foods. Well, and and chickens really invested in a sort of high fertility, uh, sort of shotgun approach to rep- reproduction, which right. is I'm going to have 18 eggs. And I'm going to see what comes out. And it's not like, you know, a human or an elephant or a whale where you have one baby and everything has to go right. They're like, weird shit goes wrong inside an egg. And it's like, okay, well, there's 17 more where that came from as far as the chicken's concerned. So, uh, you, you, we don't name them. We don't get attached until they're like a month old. They're just the nuggets right now. They're just all the chicken nuggets. And, uh, because it's sad otherwise, you know? Mm -hmm. And the other hard thing is that you can't help them hatch, even nope. if you really want to, because um, the blood vessels that attach a chick to the shell are extremely fragile. And with the best intentions in the world, trying to help the chick out of the shell, if those aren't separated, the chick will bleed out. Yeah. And or in the really horrifying scenario, if uh, it adheres to the umbilical cords, you will remove the innards from the chicken. And that is we don't want that. No one enjoys having that happen under their hands, so when the chicken is hatching, you sit on your hands and you shout encouragement. <laughs> yes. So Yes. There's... Which is what I spent a lot of uh, Sunday, was it, doing? Yes. You, you can do it. Yeah. 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 Uh, so it's, you know, uh, this is... We all root for the underdog, but we we have to learn not to help. But you can help out your local food bank. Nice segue. I'm getting a lot of practice by giving them the money you might want to give to us. I'm not saying don't give us money. I'm saying we would prefer you give it to your local food bank, your local uh, housing charity. um, Domestic violence shelters are like uh, uh, hotlines, particularly right now, because people aren't able to leave. Lots of people are in really dire straits. We're not. We're doing fine at yep. the moment. So uh, please help someone who needs it and uh, that we would much prefer that to uh, to us. <laughs> and yeah, if you if you must insist. Uh, Patreon, there are ways to do it on yeah. linked through the, the website, but you know. Under support, but. 
but really... You don't have to. Yeah. Uh, lots of people need it. Yeah. More than us. Yeah. Way more than us. And that's it for this week. Yeah. So uh, I hope everybody's having a good week, enjoying the spring that they can. If you're in the Northern Hemisphere, if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, I hope you are having an absolutely gorgeous start to autumn. Yes. And in the meantime, uh, do your best to stay healthy, take care of yourself, and also do your best to be productive. It's stay productive. Stay productive. And if I don't know. Yeah. You know, honestly, at this point, we feel you're staying productive if you're alive and healthy and hanging on one more day. You've done great. Yeah. We'll talk to you next week.